Welcome to today's podcast. I'm PCT Senior Digital Editor Brad Harbison. My guest today is Frank Meek, the Manager of Technical Services at Rollins. And for this podcast, we're going to be discussing the periodical Cicada Brood 10, which has begun emerging throughout parts of the Mid-Atlantic and the Midwest. And Frank has made a lot of field observation and he's researched cicadas both for his work at Rollins and also as the author of the Occasional Invaders chapter in the 10th edition of the Males Handbook of Pest Control, which has a section devoted to cicadas. So for our podcast today, we're gonna to talk with Frank a little bit about Brood 10 and how the emergence of these insects might impact pest management professionals. Frank, thanks for joining me today. Certainly, pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brad. Frank, cicada is really kind of a fascinating insect for a, a lot of reasons. One of which is that there is a lot of information that entomologists do know about these pests, but there's also a lot that's a mystery. So one of the questions I have for you, I just maybe want to have you kind of theorize, and that is, so we're looking at brood 10, which emerges every 17 years in parts of 15 states throughout the mid-Atlantic and the Midwest. Why is it that, that this particular brood emerges generally in the same geographic region? Yeah, uh, you know, like you said, there's not a lot, oh, there are some mysteries there um, that uh, that we just don't know. It's kind of hard to study the habits of an insect that lives underground for 17 years. Um, but, you know, the, there are some theories about that uh, geography that they like to be in and come out of the same areas. They don't tend to expand a whole lot, we don't think, because, you know, if you look at the historical data, they appear kind of in the same place. Their biology of reproduction just doesn't allow for a huge amount of spread. Where she lays the eggs is where the nymph falls to the ground. So there's not a lot of movement from that. Yeah. And again, just kind of asking you to theorize though, what are some factors that, that might account for some of these slight changes within a, a, a brood's emergent region? Yeah, you know, there's, there's the uh, unintentional travel possibly. Uh, that might uh, you know, that might do some of that. I know years ago, well, actually on the last emergence of 10, I was in um, an airport in Ohio and got stopped at security because there was some cicadas on my back in the airport. And I had no idea that, you know, that they were there. So I think there's always that possibility of human or even commerce uh, transfer to off areas, but I don't think we would see this thing moving to California growing up. Yeah. And I think one of the things that's so uh, interesting about this brood 10 is that they emerge in such large numbers. Can you talk about that a little bit? Why does this uh, brood emerge in such large numbers all at once? Yeah. So, you know, brood 10 is an interesting brood because, um, as we know, there are three species of magic cicadas. And all three of those species are in brood 10. So it's got a larger population, one, because of, of that, all three species being involved, and the geography it covers. is This thing covers a lot of territory. And so that, you know, to, to be the predominant species, in this case, in an area, you've got to have volume. And I mean, that's a fact of survival in the insect world. And another characteristic uh, I think folks find fascinating is the sound. Can you talk a little bit about, uh, maybe kind of explain to our readers how and why they create so much noise? Yeah, so, you know, these things, um, they come out and 
that sound, and there's like three or four different sounds that this brood will make. And when all those join together, it's called the, the cicada chorus. Um, but those sounds are really devoted to finding a mate. That's what they're trying to do. And these sounds are, are caused by a pair of small little organs that are on the first segment of the abdomen and they just vibrate. And that vibration is amplified by this air sac that's inside the thorax of this insect. And when you have millions and billions of these all together, that sound at the same time becomes very loud. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a unique thing that, uh, that this happens. And you can hear individual sounds, but then when you get this chorus of all three or four of their mating calls together, it builds this beautiful symphony, so to speak, that some people really don't like. We love it, but a lot of people don't. <laughs> I, I love it too, actually. I think it's very cool. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so Frank, once these, uh, once these cicadas emerge, can you do, describe their behavior once they emerge? Yeah, so, you know, they've been in the ground for 17 years and at the, um, sort of the end of that life cycle, the, uh, the nymphs are gonna start working their way up to the surface. And then when the conditions are right, they're gonna break through the surface, bore these holes up into the soil or through the soil, possibly even, even um, making a cicada uh, castle, as they're called, a little tube that sort of stands up off the soil. And they're gonna emerge out. They don't have wings yet, they're still a nymph. They're going to crawl up on a tree, attach themselves to the bark, and then um, they're going to sit there for two or three days. They're going to break out of that exoskeleton. They're going to molt from that nymph to adulthood. And when that happens, they leave that little shell stuck to the tree of their cast off skin. And then uh, the adult is going to sit there for a, a short period of time until those wings harden. They're damp from the molt. They're going to harden. And then in about three or four days, the symphony will start them trying to find a mate. They're going to mate. That female is going to lay eggs. And then they just sort of die off. But those eggs are going to develop into a, a nymph that's going to fall to the ground, burrow into the soil, and start that cycle over again. And in addition to this interesting behavior that we all kind of enjoy, well, some of us enjoy uh, <laughs> observing and watching. There's also some, some real kind of uh, benefits to the environment. And can you talk about uh, what are some of the ecological benefits of the periodical cicadas? Well, they are, you know, a part of the natural food chain, so to speak, and that they are, uh, they become food sources every year uh, as different broods emerge for the predators on them. They're a high source of protein. This is a large muscled insect lot of protein. So they're part of that natural food chain in the wild. They, you know, their activity in the soil does kind of keep the soil loose and, and nice and, and healthy in areas. The, um, so, you know, those are some of kind of the advantages there. Yeah. There are some disadvantages to them as well, because they can cause a little bit of harm, but not enough to be a, a significant threat. 
Yeah. And Frank, uh, as you and I were talking, you know, it's kind of a mixed blessing for pest control companies. Uh, on the one hand, it, it might get your phones ringing, but at the same time, you know, you, you shouldn't and you can't really treat for cicadas. Uh, and really the role um, is, and I think the industry's done a good job of kind of explaining that it, the, the industry's role is to be educators. What is sort of the educational message that PCOs can give their customers about cicadas? Yeah, you know, it's um, uh, the first thing is you're absolutely right. We don't ever want to go out there and start making pesticide applications or anything like that to try to control this. It's a waste of chemical, it's a waste of time, it's a waste of money, and it's a danger to the environment to do that sort of approach, and it just doesn't need to happen. That education to the customers is kind of just explaining that part in nature, and that, look, this is one of those little pleasant unknown mysteries in the world of science that, um, that this thing acts this way, and enjoy it. Uh, educate them on what's gonna happen, what to expect and see and assure them there's no damage and that there's no harm going to be done to their property. Um, and that that sound is gonna go away in just a, a week or so. So, um, you know, it's just sort of explaining the nature of what's happening. And Frank, I've been reading up a little bit about these um, cicada killer wasps. And I was just a little curious, um, are they more of a threat to the public during cicada brood emergencies? Emergences, excuse me. <laughs> yeah, some people would say this is an emergency, right? <laughs> but, um, well, you know, I think that population will probably appear to be much bigger during an emergence because there's more food opportunity. So nature has that funny way of when there's more food, there's more predation on the food. So, um, but cicada killer wasps are typically not uh, aggressive wasps. The males will come up and defend their area, but the male can't sting. So the female is the one that's out there hunting down the cicadas. And really the only way you're gonna uh, get hit by her is if you step on it, grab it, hit it with your hand or something along those lines, you, you have to be the aggressor to get, uh, to get hit by them. So um, I don't know that it would cause an an increase in incidences, but it will cause an increase in calls. People concerned about these giant wasps because they are a lot bigger than the standard little paper wasp that we're accustomed to. And they're gonna tear up the ground. They're gonna dig into the soil and try to get to those cicadas that are in the soil and capture them for food for their young. But they're solitary. They're not living in a colony. They're, they're solitary wasps and solitary wasps are typically just not aggressive to a harmful point to us as humans. So it's a little explanation to people about those wasps. Yeah. Uh, so Frank, uh, you kind of touched on this before that there is poten uh, potential for a little bit of damage that can be done, done to trees, although it's pretty minimal. Um, are there opportunities to provide preventive services and what are some preventive measures that can be taken to keep small trees and shrubs safe? Yeah, I, you know, I really try to avoid this as a pest control function, but more of a pest controller's advice to, uh, to our clients is to say, look, you know, if you have young trees, there's a possibility that they can be damaged, not necessarily killed, but you can stunt the growth, you can stop some of the growth, kill off some of the early um, spring growth on those trees because of where she lays her eggs and such. Some of the things that can be done, you can go to a lawn, uh, 
a lawn care service company, supply shop, what have you, um, tape strips around the base of the tree to stop those uh, uh, nymphs as they're crawling up the, the tree. Uh, I've seen netting that you could put over the tree and secure to the trunk loosely so that uh, under the bottommost limb so that the cicadas can't get up and attack the tree limbs there. Now that has to come off right as soon as the season's over because you want the tree to grow and, and expand. You don't want to stunt that growth. Established trees, it's no more harm than you taking a pair of snips out and, and clipping off a, a, a few small twigs or branches. It's not going to harm those established trees. It's just those young ones that potentially get some stunted growth out of it. And Frank, you also mentioned before that one of the benefits of the cicadas is that they can provide a, a meal to some, some, some animals. And I had a question about moles. Um, I know that moles like to feed on cicadas. How might this impact mole populations or, or other animals? How might they be, be impacted by the cicada emergence? So I don't think that you would have moles migrate into an area that they were not in before uh, because they're going to be at places that have high grub populations and, and such in the ground that they can be eating on. So um, getting a mole invasion is probably not going to happen. But if they are in the area, they're going to become more active, finding more food. So if they're already there, you're possibly going to see more burrowing and some more um, uh, of the little, you know, uh, tunnel humps that occur in the soil sometimes in some different areas where they could be at. Um, other animals, uh, yeah, you know, like, like we said with the cicada killer wasps, they're going to appear to be more of them there because there's a more of a food supply available. Again, the, the higher the food supply, the higher the population of predators tends to uh, to appear, if not become, in a lot of places. So we'll get some of that. Yeah. You'll get more dogs and cats getting real, ex you know, real excited and, and playing with them and bringing them inside to, to show you what they captured. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen some of those videos of, of the dogs going crazy with the, the cicadas. It's kind of fun to watch. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Frank, oh, sorry. so the last question I have for you, I mean, as an entomologist, what do you enjoy about the phenomena of the cicada emergence? You know, I, I, I love this type of thing to happen because it gets people talking and asking questions. And it gives us a chance to really kind of explain that, that insects are basically good. There's only a small handful of them that are not good to us as humans and to society in general. And, and it gives us that opportunity to, to just talk about that and explain that. And then you know, I really get excited about the, the little kids and the questions that they come up with while you're out there. They see those cast off skins on the, on the trees, they grab them, they pick them up and they'll bring them to you and say, hey, mister, look, you know, and, and just gives you that chance to, uh, to talk about them and explain this wonderful phenomena that's happening and, and to just sit back and enjoy it and, and observe nature at doing what she's good at, which is surprising us. Yeah. Well, I, as you know, Frank, we're up here in Ohio, so we've got a, a good chance of seeing them. So uh, I'm pretty excited about it. And I might even take a little drive if they're not, don't, don't quite make it up to Cleveland. So, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people that do that. And, uh, um, it's a great thing. I've been in a, several of them over the years and uh, 
it, it's fascinating to see and fascinating to hear and even more fun to talk about. Yeah. Good deal. Well, Frank, thanks. Uh, thanks again for joining us and uh, giving us some of your insights and your experience working with cicadas. Okay. Thanks so much. Great to see you. Great. And to PCT's listeners, thanks for joining us for today's podcast and have a great day.